Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, I have with me tonight two very special guests. Uh, we have the honor here on V Radio of once again having uh, Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows of the Venus Project. Welcome to the show. Thank Thanks, you. Neil. Appreciate it. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, tonight uh, I sent an email to Mr. Fresco about your questions. Uh, I picked some from some of the questions in the forum uh, post that I had made on the subject of your questions. Um, I told everybody, uh, you know, if I didn't get to your question, don't worry. Uh, I'm sure that we'll be able to get to it at another time or that inevitably it'll end up getting explained. I was trying to find questions that either you can't call me and ask me because some of them I know the answers to or uh, questions that maybe even I hadn't had a chance to ask yet. So um, I'm trying to actually find my own copy of that list. I uh, forgot to do that before, but I know you guys have the list. Um, if uh, you guys want to go ahead and read off the first question, we can get started. Okay, the first question. What does he have planned for the Venus Project for when he leaves this, this world? Yep. Has, has he got a plan set, set up for continuation, and what does it entail? It depends on the situation at the time. If we're in the utter chaos, if we've done so much damage to the environment and the oceans where we can not do anything about it, the plan will be different. It depends on when it happens, when we start the project, and it depends on how many people get behind it and support it. So it isn't up to me. I'm not put in charge of anything. If you tell me how much support we have, if people back up the project, if they want to see it happen, and they take action toward making it happen, uh, that would bring it about much sooner. If they start very late after the tremendous environmental damage, we may not be able to pull out. I don't know. So I have many different plans. uh, They might be called contingencies depending on how bad or how far along we are. Yeah, I definitely agree that it is kind of a complex question and utterly dependent on the circumstances. I run into that same problem when I'm trying to explain to people our feelings about the Venus Project. You know, they ask questions and it's like, okay, well, there are so many different phases to, you know, changing a culture to a more emergent culture. You're going to run into, like, you know, it's like, are you talking about 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Because they're all different answers. Um but I know that uh, in general, I think, as, as we talked about at the, the hotel when you and I first met, um, that um, after you passed away, you said that Roxanne Meadows was completely capable of representing all of your ideas, and um, that, that's correct, right? Yes. That's what I figured. <laughs> she can handle most of the ideas, and she knows how to organize people into teams to do a given job. Excellent. And Jack's been working on plans all his life for the future. So, I mean, that to me, that question is kind of strange. What what does he have planned? Mm-hmm. Everything he designs is is planned for different times in, in society in the future. All the way up to a, a total cybernated resource-based economy. He's, lay, he's been laying out his plans for years. I think it was kind of that people were concerned as to, like, if, if Jacques were to pass away, you know, who would be in charge of all of this and, um, you know, it, or at least who he felt would continue to be able to represent him. Um, oh, that's a very gentle turn, that passing away. <laughs> if I kick the bucket, that's the end of the story. 
<laughs> then you'll pass away. You know, it's just, it's just like the story of a restroom. Like I told you before, I've been to 20 or 100 restrooms and never found a place to rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you're right. I never thought about that. But no, um, it, it's interesting, though, and it, you know, it, as I think that it's just largely that people were concerned about that because people are still always of the opinion that, you know, there's one focal leader. And I think that, um, you know, these ideas definitely take fruition in, you know, in people's minds after they fully grasp it, and then it, it kind of grows on its own. I mean, I know right. that if, you know, if it ever comes to that, you know, I'll still be fighting. There, I mean, there is no if there kicks the bucket as far as I'm concerned. If, if Mr. Fresco is for some reason no longer with us, that nothing's going to end. I'm not going to shut up about this idea ever, and I'm hoping that my children will be the same way. So... Uh, our security is in how many people know about this direction and how much they know about it. Right. You know, a, a typical question that people ask is, will, be people, will people be happier in the future? What do they mean by happier? That we're motivated to do things to solve problems. We never are happy with anything we do. It's just better than it was, and you continue to do work to prove to improve all things. But happiness is a word that people use. It implies a certain state of achievement, which we never accept. Everything is in a state of transition. What makes you happy at 14 years old will bore you today. I think when they refer to creative people, it's people who were never satisfied with what they're doing and always changing things. I know when I was young even, and I did paintings, I would put them on the, on the wall, and then I would take my paint and keep changing them as they were on the wall. So people are always updating things. There's never a fixed final frontier. And those that don't do that will be left behind. The nation that has no vision for a future will be surpassed by other nations. You know, and I think another thing that we would probably, that would play in on this is the fact that I think a lot of people don't recognize that what makes them happy is also so largely determined by their value system that is then in turn determined by their environment. I mean, like, you know, a headhunter might be happy with the amount of shrunken heads that he has to somebody else that would disgust them. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for people to really grasp. Neil, let me put it direct, okay? Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court justices today would be considered criminals in the future. The high, these very highly respected people today, the War Department, the military, would be considered criminals. Do you understand? Judges oh, yeah. are considered criminals. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, I, I mentioned this many times, King Solomon had a thousand wives. He's very much respected by religious people. Today he'd be arrested as a bigamist. Yes, definitely. What, what do you call, what's a criminal? I think the new definition, one who's caught, is a much better definition than the old one. <laughs> yeah, actually, I remember that in your Penn State lecture. Um, and for those of you who are listening, uh, I have Jacques' Penn State lecture, lecture and Zeitgeist Addendum and a couple of other different clips for the Venus Project uh, on Zeitgeist TV running in uh, this perpetuity. If you want to check it out there, you can also embed that channel on your website so that it will, you know, continuously play that material for you. 
Uh, you can use it on your blogs and things of that nature. Um, I have to clean it up a little bit because it's still got some activist stuff in it where occasionally people are using profanity, but um, the, the rest of the material is very good, um, and you can also put it on your MySpace. So, uh, But anyway, um, to continue on, I actually found my list of the questions, so I'll go back to asking them. <laughs> Um, now this one is a bit more complex. Uh, the person in question was, you know, was was very well worded. I'm just hoping that everybody will understand what they mean, and I know you will. Um, how do you see a cybernated industrial administration system organized? What would a schematic of this system look like? Well, it depends on the time that occurs and the state of technology. If new chips come out, we're able to store information on a sub-microscopic level, uh, things change. Machines become tiny. Uh, and it depends on the state of technology at that time. Mm -hmm. If you want to use today's technology, examples of today's systems, that's only transitional. So everything is always transitional. Well, I definitely agree. Um, I guess they're they're looking for details on Ideally, how would you like to see it happen? I mean, like, okay, um, that's different. Right. Ideally, I'd like to see the public identify with the Venus Project and get behind it and begin to talk about it and begin to organize toward it and begin to send in applications of what their professions are, what they can do, so we have a list. So on D Day, we can move very quickly if we know how many chemists we have in the group how many structural engineers, how many architects and city planners, you know, all these experts lined up. So on D-Day, when the public says, let's do the Venus Project, then we would have nowhere to draw from. Do you understand what I mean? Oh, yeah. Right now, you can only accumulate professional skills. And uh, we need people during the transition to put it together. We need universities, draftsmen, CAD people to help us begin to do the buildings and everything else with what we know today. Now, of course, uh, we will have the buildings will be continuously updated. And people ask, well, what are you going to do with the old cities? We're going to level most of them and mine them for steel and glass and whatever material we can get. Some of the old cities will be preserved as museum cities so the kids of the future can walk through and see what life wasn't like in the future, in the past. <laughs> I like how you put that. <laughs> well, somebody said if you made a movie of our present day and showed it in the future, it would be considered a horror film. <laughs> I really think about it. Oh, no, I, I agree, I agree. Um, it just, it's the way you put it, it's, it struck me a, funny. A lot of people say to me, well, I, I like to see change, but don't change anything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'd like to see change, but change the other guy, not me. Don't, set up, don't upset their values. Mm -hmm. So there's no way to build a new world with old values. As yeah. long as people have... As long as our nation has such things as Mickey Mouse clubs, they are insane. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, the Mickey Mouse club. Now, what is that? <laughs> I mean, it's just a form of stupidity. 
Yeah, and you know, it's funny actually is that people don't recognize that they basically create their own children, you know, behaving certain ways when they do that. I know like for me, I'm very picky about what my children are exposed to. Um, I ended up actually having to order uh, the DVDs of the old school Sesame Street because I wasn't satisfied with the educational level of the current Sesame Street. And even then, I mean, it's it was, you know, there are still probably much better ways to educate your children, but yes. it's... You know, it seems got a problem. If you do a good job of educating your children, they will become maladjusted in the culture. Right. Yeah, that's actually. See, you live in a right. culture, so if you condition kids to be reasonable and sane and humane, they can't maintain the cutting edge of profit. Yeah, I worked. At, actually, I, I experienced that pretty much myself. Uh, my mother raised me to be very free thinking. Uh, to be very honest, uh, to be, you know, uh, critically thought of. And that's actually another uh, phenomenon that I brought up on a couple of different shows is that not only do we not really educate our kids very efficiently, um, you know, there's this phenomenon that I think that should be declared like an enemy of humanity that goes on in your school. I mean, they're worried about kids shooting each other, and I definitely applaud that, but they don't worry about kids picking on one another for being smart. You know, if you're a smart child, that's something to get pushed around on, and you know, at the, you know, at the playground for. You know, I remember distinctly being made fun of for having a large vocabulary because I used big words. That was something to get punched for at the school I attended. Yes. You know, if, if you let stuff like this happen, and you know, it's it was always strange to me that nobody, you know, it's like especially when you look at underlined causes, like when the Columbine thing happened. You know, I think that what those kids did was wrong. But I also think that you know people weren't really paying attention to what it was that motivates children to do something like that. And I remember any of the violent impulses I had in school pretty much always came from children just pushing me and pushing me and pushing me until I couldn't take it anymore. And the adults in the situation seeming to have no concept whatsoever of what to do to stop it. You know, and I think about all the hours that I could have been you know being educated that instead I was putting up with that nonsense. You know, I mean it's. It's one thing to throw more money at the problem. You have to know what you're doing. Neil, Neil, it's very difficult in this system to do patchwork or to come up with little solutions in some areas. The whole system is so loused up, you, you really have to start fresh. Like, it's Edison coming in with the electric light and the gas companies... You know, he has to educate people and tell them what electricity is, how it's used, because the Venus Project is not like other systems. So people have to ask, well, would I like the Venus Project? Of course you wouldn't like it. If you ask an Indian what he wants, he says, well, I like to live on a reservation and be free and hunt, as I always have. Now, you can't do that. Indians come to me, American Indians, and say, will you help the indigenous people? I can't help them unless they learn technology. Because if they can't, they can't live and multiply with that value system. There's not enough animals in the world to feed an expanding Indian culture. Now, if you approach American Indians honestly, and they dance around the fire with a feathered hat, and you say, well, that's ridiculous. What does that accomplish? The Indian doesn't say, thank you very much. You know, I never thought of it that way, Neil. That's a hell of an interesting point. They can think that way. No more than people, all people are victims of culture and uh, of the culture they're reared in. 
in the Nazi culture, they think a certain way. In, in Spain, they think another way. In ancient Rome, they thought differently. So you don't ask people what they think about things because you know what they're going to say. What do you think of the institution of marriage? Well, most people would be for it. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the of becoming a lawyer? Well, most people say, well, that's a fine profession. You, you have good learning capacity. How about investment banking? Well, that's an honorable field. All those people will be considered bums in the future. Absolutely. offensive behavior. So you, you ask people what they want. You have to tell people what they ought to want. Clean air, clean water, arable land, take care of the forest, restore nature to as near a condition, natural condition as possible. You have to tell them what they ought to want. They don't know. If you ask them, say, what do you really want? Well, I'd like decent people in government. Well, what does that mean exactly? They don't know. Well, they say people that are fair-minded. Well, well, how fair-minded? So that there's no profit to any single person, but profit to all the human race? What does that mean? When a, when a religious person says, I wish to serve God Almighty, and then you say to them, do unto others, you have others do unto you. What does that mean? Does that mean share your wealth with everybody? Or does it mean give us, well, 10% of your wealth? It's never been defined. So people have verbal hobbies which they interpret in different ways. You know, and it's something actually, it's funny that you bring that up, you know, is that, you know, we've talked about society and its effect on, like, human relationships. Um, it, you know, you were talking about marriage. It, it's funny, it's like you said, you, the institution of marriage, I deplore it, is that people have, like, this negative connotation about marriage so much to the point that they try to pretend that they're not married. Like, you know, and it, it's funny. I mean, like, I don't have a problem with people, you know, not doing this. It's just that it's funny to me that some people feel the need to go out of their way. Like, I have a friend who dates this girl, and they both have problems with relationships, so they just live together, and they won't even call each other boyfriend and girlfriend because of that level of commitment and whatever social connotations would come with that. But they spend all their time together. They're, you know, they, it's, they are in a relationship, but it's funny to me because we have so many negative things that we blame on the institution of marriage itself as if it's the cause of your problem, they don't look at what, you know, what behavioral things caused that to happen. I mean, the only thing that changed between me and my wife when we got married was that our finances are legally bound to, together, you know, which it can be both good or bad, but it, it has a purpose. But, you know, just I think and, you see what I'm saying. Within the, system, within the system, it might be beneficial. Mm-hmm. But actually, uh, in, in times to come, People will live together because they love each other, and love keeps it together. If for any reason they split up, they don't have to pay a lawyer. Just as, who the hell is he? If you don't get along, why do you have to pay a lawyer to split it up? What is all this about? Why do you have to get married? If you really love each other, no one can stop you from being together. They can try, but love is something that you don't put on paper. Uh, in other words, our social institutions have been designed to make sure that you support the children you bring into the world. Marriage is part of the economic system for maintaining control over people. 
Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I haven't gone through some of those problems myself. You can work out a contract with your wife. You both sign it, and if anything happens to you, she's taken care of, or whatever whatever you wish to do. You can put it on paper. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to go to, I now pronounce you, pronounce you man and wife. Who is that guy that pronounces you man and wife? Some special person that society has determined has the right to give you permission to be in love. Well, what does love mean, really? What does it mean? I always thought that love was a fluctuating situation. That is, uh, like I always say to people, do you love everything you've ever done? They say, of course not. And then you say, well, if you lived with a replica of yourself, how long would you be together? Because love is an ongoing process. Sometimes you love a person more, sometimes a little less. Sometimes you don't like them at all. Sometimes you don't like what you've done. Sometimes you feel very proud of what you've done. So it's not a fixed thing. People talk about love as though it were fixed. There are many people that live together or are married but feel trapped because there's nothing they can do about it. They have kids in the home, and if they try to split up, the problems would be enormous. It's a marriage of convenience most of the time. And the funny thing is, is it can also become like a like a snare. Like you'll get stuck in it, and then yes. you can't afford to get out of it. Um. <laughs> yes, that's true. And then, and if you got five kids, and you got a minimum wage job, you just can't pay support. Right. Yeah, and I pay know. Rent yeah, and I take know. Care of your own health. Situation is that they and are. Men make laws. Men make laws that you're obligated. You have four kids. You have to support them. Why don't they say that? You have four kids, therefore your salary has to be $80,000 a year. <laughs> Put it together so that it'll work. They don't do that. They just make laws. That's what I mean by human stupidity. The lecture that I do called The Limitless Dimensions of Human Stupidity means that within our system, the whole system is insane. Not insane, insane. It doesn't work. Well, All yeah. the laws made by man are violated. Nobody can violate natural law. When a congressman climbs the steps to the to the Capitol building, he burns so many kilogram calories per step. There's not a thing you can do about it. They can't vote out the law of gravity. There are certain constants in nature that we have to learn to live with. Man-made laws are not one of them. You know, actually, I run into that kind of just this absurd argument that happens all the time is that they don't like that we're trusting science over intuition. And, you know, and then I, I it's there's some people who just have so much trouble with authority. I get this from a lot of libertarians and anarchists well, um, you know, as, as if they can decide not to be subject to natural law, as if they have a choice. <laughs> you know, I don't uh, feel comfortable with scientists because many scientists wrote many books on why man can't fly. They've also written books on why man can't go to the moon. Top-notch scientists, rather than saying, I don't know enough about the problems yet to solve that kind of problem. I don't know how it will be solved. Just say, I don't know. But when you say man will never fly, he'll never get to Mars, there'll always be greed in the world, there'll always be wars and rumors of wars. You're talking through your hat. Just say, I don't know how to stop wars. I don't know how to stop aberrant behavior. 
But don't say there'll always be aberrant behavior. I don't know how to stop it. You have to learn first how to say I don't know. That's the most important thing to learn. Where did all this come from? They say God made it all. Just say I don't know. You don't know that. You were told that. And different Bibles have different stories. So when you say I believe in God, which one are you talking about? As they say, if God knows everything and he made everything and he's omnipotent, you don't have to pray to him. He knows everything. Don't you see that the contradictions are so vast that people feel afraid and insufficient? I would say the reason most people go to church as an investment for life after death. So they give 10% of their income because they feel insecure. Once you attain a level of security, you know that the only way problems are solved is by getting up off your ass and working toward a better world and better relationships, not praying for it. Well, you know, Do it. Even Jesus said, by their work, you shall know them. Oh, definitely. You know, and that's actually something else that I usually bring up when I'm debating this subject is people are like, you know, so people are just going to be obligated to go you know, or feel obligated to go help people. And I said, look, if I could get up right now and go to Africa and build a hydroponic farm, I would. The monetary system is actually what prevents me from going to go help people. You know, yeah, um, not only that, yeah, how do you decide which country to go to the help? You know, if you go to Africa and build a hydroponic farm, uh, some of the South Pacific Islanders would say, gee, why don't you do it for us? Why do you do it for them? In other words, why not work on a global system? Well, in other words, you can't discriminate against any group of people or enhance the lives of people except if they live in, in an emergency. They're having an emergency where two million people die a year in Africa of malaria. If you can solve that problem along with the food problem, along with education, it's not enough to solve the food problem. Just feeding people, if they keep on reproducing, you're going to have the same problem next year, much worse. So you have to maintain education and a population that's in accordance with the carrying capacity of the environment. Oh, yeah, I was just using Africa because I was pulling a name out of my hat of, you know... But you can't help people know. unless you work on the whole system. And, and really, growing food is only part of the problem. Education is the next part. Now, what is education? Is it learning the ABCs and how to spell? Not at all. Education is learning how to live, how to find meaning in your own life, how to take care of the environment, how to build and invite other people in. An exclusive club, remember, excludes people. They don't think about that. And when you exclude people, you're socially offensive. So they have no definition of decency and ethics. If they did, well, you could never manage that in a society. So you let everybody interpret it as they will. Do you understand? Oh, it's yeah. So loused up, Neil, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> well, it is a big problem. It's, it's a big thing to talk about, too. And that's why it's like I always notice when I talk about it, I end up going on all these tangents that seem like tangents. And then once I get to the finally getting around to finishing my, my point, I realize that I've had to go all the way around the world to answer their question and that if I hadn't said everything that I said, they wouldn't really understand the answer because it really, I mean, it's especially when it comes to the profit motive, 
it just seeps its way into everything, and people don't understand how much change would happen on just a vast scale. No, they don't. So what happens here is we have tour groups, people that come here, and sometimes we get as many as 20 people. And when they come in, they're one way, and when they leave, they're very different kinds of people. I say 90% of the people that come here are changed in one day. Their thinking has changed, their values have changed in one day, one shot. Did you know that, Neil? Oh, yeah, definitely. So when people come here, they can ask questions, all kinds of questions, and I'm not polite. I don't say, well, that's very nice that you're a Lutheran. It's very nice that you believe this. We confront them directly. Now, somebody said, why don't, why, don't, why don't you live and let live? Let people believe what they want to believe. People once believed the earth was flat. And if you don't take that away, you're not educating people. You're not dealing with a problem. So why don't you let religion alone? Let the money system alone. Let private property alone. Don't touch those areas. Well, then the world will go on with its wars and its crimes and the same problems over and over again. We want change, but don't change me. (laughs) I've definitely heard that before. So when they come here, when people come here, they come here because they're sincerely interested in a way of thinking to get out of the dilemma they're in. And 90% of people live in an artificial world. And they're hurt by their beliefs that do not correspond with reality. That is the reality I'm talking about means the nature of the physical world and our relationship to it. Not what I'd like to believe, but what is so. You have more people killed in automobile accidents than the wars. So what is needed? A safe transportation system. So cars can't hit one another. We already have the equipment. We could have built that in 1927. A world where automobiles had no accidents. They didn't hit each other. We could have just solved most of the problems. When you think of the money spent on wars, and all those cities we leveled, Germany, England was bombed flat. And then they built the same kind of cities over again. Isn't that amazing? You'd think by then they'd learn how to build saner cities. By then, they didn't. They're all buildings of different size, shape, form. And out in Florida, when you had that big hurricane, blew all the buildings away in South Miami, they put up the same kind of buildings again. And that doesn't surprise me because there are people who live up the Amazon River that make rafts the same way they made them a thousand years ago because there's nothing out there that's new. All the broadcasting stations have the same pap over and over again. They don't deal with the problem. They don't even come near the problem. They don't even know what the problems are, Neil. I've never heard a person state the problem. They talk around it and about some aspects of the present culture, how to make it better, make policemen more understanding. You can't do that in this type of culture. It's like ancient Rome, where you say, stop treating Christians to the lions. If you said that, they'd put you in there with the Christians. Do you understand what I mean? Oh, You're yeah. having a culture. Everybody used to come to see Christians being fed by lions. All respectable Romans did. And when the whole family came, the kids wanted to come next week to see Christians being fed to lions. And some people think those children are terrible. No, they're not. 
they're brought up in an environment that emphasize that. Now, two men punching each other in a boxing ring. We go to see that, and that damages the brains of both people. But uh, that's, uh, you know, sports. Well, what is sports? What is it really? So what are you going to do? Are you going to examine things in your culture that you don't like, that you want to change? Or are you going to look at the whole culture and say, hey, are we sane? Where are we going? What is the future of our economic system? What will it be like in the future? How can we wipe out poverty and hunger in the world? How can we bridge the difference between nations? These are the real problems. And once we begin to face the real problems, you'll see a different kind of world. And if we're not wise enough to do that, we may kill each other and destroy the environment. I don't like what I'm saying, Neil. I'm just speaking what you would call a closer approximation of reality. No, and I, I totally understand that. And actually, ironically, that's something that um, I take out of the movie The Matrix that so many people try to claim as an example of why we shouldn't do the Venus Project. I really feel that they missed the point because the two guys who directed that movie were actually trying to get people to understand that people have a certain reality for themselves. And in many cases, it's, it's all crap. It's, it's a projected reality. Like if, if, you, if you watch The Matrix, basically the idea behind it is that these machines are inducing people into this fantasy world that is, you know, warm. And I mean, it's not perfect, but it's something that they keep these people preoccupied with. And one of the things that Morpheus, one of the main characters, points out to uh, one of the other characters is that the people that are in that delusion will fight to protect that delusion um, because they don't want to be awakened. Um, and it's, it's funny because, you know, it, it, that's the, the major point here is that we're talking about the real. You know, at one point in that movie, the, the Morpheus looks at one of the characters and says, you can take this pill and go back to your delusion where everything was fine, or you can take this pill and be in the real, be, you know, be in reality. This is what's really going on. This is what Earth is really like. And it, it's, it's amazing to me, actually, is that after, it, it's, it, you can't turn back. Like, I could not possibly un-Venus project myself because now I look at everything so much more clear and I get to the very heart and the root of matters rather than just accepting the, you know, the, the easy answers that so many people do. Um, and just it, it just... It disgusts me, actually. So many different things that I used to find entertaining are just not entertainment anymore. I reckon, you know, you look down into everything and you analyze it in your, you know, like, is this a good application of my time? You know, like, for example, I realized recently that um, I'd like to start learning how to build solar panels, um, and it, it was going to be recreational for me. You know, uh, 10 years ago, that would have never been recreational you know, uh, I would have never thought of doing anything like that. I had given up on doing anything technical a long time ago, but my values changed because I started thinking very differently. Uh, the things that I find inter entertaining are different. And I think that people will, uh, you know, once people actually really use the full capacity of the human brain, even just the percentage of it that we use, but they're using it towards practical ends, the things that stimulate them and bring them out will be much more like they were when they were children back when you wanted to learn about things, back when you wanted to, you know, to touch and taste and feel and explore. And um, I think that we really do ourselves a disservice by just create, you know, by putting our children into this world where they're told that those things are not as important as whatever will profit or whatever will create money for you. Um, well, even considering, Neil, the fact that they use such 
terms as a well-adjusted person. There's no such thing as a well-adjusted person because the more you learn, you undergo modification and your views differ. You keep changing. A well-adjusted person of, of 1800 is not a well-adjusted person today. Do you know what I mean? Oh, There's yeah. Terms like, well, the person could be better adjusted or well-adjusted or, or taken away from an addiction. Uh, everything is an addiction in this society. Going to work is stupid. It's wasting the best years of your life for some corporation. And the minute you go in any private company, if they have a time clock and you punch that, you're in the dictatorship. They don't ask you what you want to do with your life. They say, this is what you're to do. You work that sewing machine for eight hours a day or 11 hours a day, depending on the company. So every company is a dictatorship. Every school, every engineering college. And there's nothing wrong with information if it's real, related to the real world. But when you work for a company, you're working for their benefit, not really your own. Minimum wage is a way to keep people coming to work. If you paid your help $5,000 a week, they'd take their family out on a cruise. You wouldn't see them one day. So minimum wage is a control device to make you go back to work. Now, you don't get anything from work. If you work in a factory or service, automobiles, whatever you do is a routine. It's over and over again the same sort of thing. In the future, we can automate all repetitive projects. People working is a waste of their lives. And if you educated people well in a multidisciplinarian type of education, you couldn't get them to go to work. You couldn't yes. control them. You couldn't get them to go to war and kill people. They'd be questioning everything. So people always are up in arms about we need better education. You're getting exactly what they need, what they want. They don't, when they say we need improvement in education without specifying what that is in detail, they're just using words. And then you say, why can't nations learn to live together in peace and harmony? Those are beautiful words, but they cannot be translated into a working system. So the only thing that really counts is what do you do about it? If you say there's so many accidents in the world, and I always say to a person, what do you recommend? How can we prevent cars from hitting each other? I don't know. Then shut up or go to work on the problem. There's a lot of cases of heart disease and nervous breakdowns. How awful. What do you recommend? I don't know. Then shut up or study the subject. Do something about it. Get up off your ass and go to work in making the world a better place. But before you attempt to do that, you better define your terms what better place means. Oh, absolutely. You know, an elderly Jewish man came up to me and he said, will you permit tradition in the future? And I said, will you permit tradition? He says, of course. I says, if the Ku Klux Klan meets once a month for 75 years, is that okay with you? Oh, no, not at all. Well, what traditions are, going, are you going to perpetuate? The ones you like? All traditions have to be examined, and those that have long outlived their usefulness that are not have no relevance will be surpassed. The same for nations. The nation that sits still, 
that doesn't think in terms of the future, that tries to do things in the same way they've done them a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago. That's what Congress is. That's what senators are. That's what politicians are. They're ignoramuses that know nothing about technology. They have no idea how to make the world a better place. They do not appear on television with anything new. Everything they say has been said before 50, 100 years ago. I've heard nothing new on television. And the people they invite on television are military people, establishment people. Don't forget, people are elected to keep things as they are, not to change things. You know, if they try to change things, they get rid of you. Even in, uh, even in entertainment, like one of the things that drives me crazy about sitcoms is that it's it's like they just they get new people in the sitcom and then they just re, it's it's almost always like this it's as if they take the scripts from the past thirty years of sitcoms and then re just re, you know realign them just a little bit you know now we're going to have a Thanksgiving episode and this funny thing is going to happen to the turkey and you know people don't even recognize that that's the same Thanksgiving episode that was done by say you know, a, a sitcom back in the 50s. It's just, you know, people don't recognize that they're, they're being fed the same crap over and over again to placate them. Um, that's right. But what would be interesting in the future, if that's where people are, that they need sitcoms, then we use those sitcoms and those soap operas and we introduce new ideas. You educate them through the stories that they need, but you give them more relevant information within the storylines. The question I ask, Neil, is who decides what is relevant information? That's the question that normal people ask. Who decides the direction for society, the way cities ought to be, and transportation? That isn't really the question. The question really should be, how did you arrive at that system, and why is your system, or the system that you advocate, more efficient or better for humans, and who decides which is better? In other words, all people, need clean air, clean water, nutritious food, unadulterated food with artificial coloring and flavoring and enhancements. All people need a shelter that requires minimum repair. All people need a transportation system that's safe and comfortable. That's obvious that we need those things. But if you don't talk about those things, about how to achieve it, well, how to make a better transportation system, you're not talking about anything. If you say we ought to have a decent government, people ought to learn to behave themselves. They ought to make more intelligent choices. Well, what does that mean exactly? If you don't lay out what intelligent choices mean, like nutritious food, good sleep, less stress, how to remove stress in the world, well, cut the workday down to three hours a day, increase the income, and you'll have much less stress. But they don't do that. It doesn't work. Well, it's people don't. System. People often don't really, I mean, they don't think on this level. They don't re ever get to the, the bottom of things. And you know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, once you start to do this, it, it really does change you as a person after you start to really look at things very deeply. It's just like, I mean, People have, like, psychologists, for example, have, like, a reputation. They call them shrinks. You know, they create a, a negative connotation for them. And I don't trust every psychologist, don't get me wrong, but once you've studied the human mind and you study sociology, it becomes very difficult for you to relate to people the same way after you really understand the underline of what's going on. Like, um, when I am involved in my reenactment group, 
um, I'm a bit of a social anomaly because I refuse to um, ostracize the people that they have determined are bad people, and I refuse to, um, you know, just kiss the butts of the people that they think are good people. And this is not something specific to my reenactment. It's to any large group of people. It could be a knitting circle. It could be a paintball club or a bowling league. You, you know, the, the social garbage that people waste themselves on, it's the, the various social stratifications, um, things of that nature is just such a waste of energy and it divides people because, you know, you get into who's good and who's bad and then like you, somebody could have a beautiful idea, but if they're not the, you know, if they're not the popular kid, then nobody will listen to them. And in fact, yeah, it gets even worse. If they don't like that kid, they'll discredit the idea just because they don't like him, even if it's totally right. I think a better way maybe uh, is that science is a closer approximation of reality. There's no such thing as true overall understanding. We're always in the process of learning. That is, if, you, if you've been brought up to inquire into things, how things work. And I got books here that give me pictures of why buildings fall down, you know, why they crash, why they cave in and why automobiles collide with each other, and why some buildings stand up under hurricanes. In other words, we try to get information to make the world a better place, but we're not looking for finality, always in the process of change. If you can get that through your head, the people out there, that we're always changing. There are no utopias, no final frontiers, no best television set. It's always transitional. If you learn to think that way, you will become an old fogey. And when you try more things, you make more mistakes. So don't be afraid of, of failing at things. I think, what was it, um, for the syphilis, it was something like 606. 606, or I thought like 700 or something, and, and or it was 700 tries for the light bulb to get 7, the... 7,000. 7,000, okay. Elements for the filament, yeah. Right. So, um, and that's what kids don't understand. They try and do something and they feel, well, they don't have that scientific know-how because it doesn't work, but they don't understand. They have to try so many things and fail at so many things before they, they see any progress. And sometimes people work and work and work for 10 years and they never achieve what they're trying to do. And somebody else reads their books on the same subject, say cancer, and they learn what they shouldn't approach and what they shouldn't do. So they try something else and, and they get some... some um, they get some advancement in it, and then they get the Nobel Prize. Well, it really, there shouldn't be any Nobel Prize. It should go, everybody should be um, acknowledged who, who worked on the subject. That's essentially it. You know, if you, if you understand that we are all victims of culture, that you really can't communicate with people unless they have parallel values, unless they read similar books, this is a myth. We talk at each other rather than communicate. Do you understand that? Because when you greet people, say, you know, how are you? How's the family? How's Uncle Harry? How are the children? Those are called loops. The brain just goes around talking about the same thing. All soap operas are the same. All movies are the same with different characters. There's no real motion picture that was very different. If you made a motion picture that was that different, no one would go to see it. I think it was Arthur C. Clarke who said, if I wrote a book, 
that everybody agreed with, I wouldn't be saying anything new. Yeah, you know, it is when it comes to uh, you know investigating new information. I mean, I know that uh, you people have a tendency like because the way that education happens, you know, you just you want to get it over with, so you don't even care. You just you know you want it to be over with. The the exploration attitude kind of gets beaten out of you because you're never allowed to explore what you want to. And I think back now. Memorization. What's that? It's primarily memorization. Yes, and it's usually a test. And it's memorization of things that your brain doesn't even necessarily want to do. I've noticed that some people do have certain aptitudes. Like, I love robots. I've always loved robots all my life. And I think back to this now as, like, you know, wow, I, you know, I wanted to be a robotics engineer at one time in my life. What happened to me? And then I, I rewind my life to look back at the various things that were going on. Um, you know, I, I did well in school when I went, but I, I hated it. And um, I lived in a very, you know, very high-scarcity, bad neighborhood. Um, and so I was always dealing with problems with the kids. Um, I mean, there were gang fights and, you know, gunshots all the time. It was a bad place to grow up. And, you know, and I just, I think about how much the monetary system prevented me from being who it is that I, you know, could have been. Um, and I'm still going to study robotics just on my own, but I, I look back on it now and I just think so much time that I wasted. I mean, how much more useful I could have been to what I'm interested in now if I could be building these robots to do the automation that we're talking about. Can't you equate certain labor or slavery with blood and flesh robots? What do you think soldiers are? They're killing machines, robots that obey the establishment. You, you can make a robot of organic material, too. Do you know what I'm getting at? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. What do you think a, a policeman or army officer is? He, he doesn't follow his own thoughts. He's told what to do. You know, when you go to a court, a court of law, and they say, do you swear to tell the whole truth or nothing but the truth, so help you God? Nobody knows the whole truth about anything. And it's as a soon stupid, as they... very stupid society that you live in. That's why I say you won't make the history books of the future. It's so backward and primitive. Even your presidents, all of them, were very simple people. And as I thought, they would not seek the position of being president of a sick culture. I once had an associate come up to me and say, Jock, I'm running for political office. And I said, gee, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> oh, I understand, because you, you would think it would be very limiting. I, I get where you're coming from. And I know that at this point, my involvement in politics is just to be a kind of like a, a, a sound a, a sounding board for me to be able to give out my ideas to people um, because they have their condition to listen to politicians more than they are to other people. You can kind of use that to your advantage. They but, can't uh, listen to other people, Neil. They can't. They don't have the equipment. In other words, they don't have a reason out of a situation. They don't have enough tools. A doctor without surgical instruments cannot perform. If you give kids the, the techniques for solving problems, emotional problems, love problems, math problems, if you give them the techniques, they're able to solve many problems without seeking help on, on the outside. We would give tools the best available at the time. Never tell them that these are the best tools. They're the best available at the time. When you talk that way, you produce a degree of flexibility. Yeah, and, and 
especially when you use a word like best, so many people associate that with, with their egos, you know, what do you mean these are not the best tools? These are my tools, so therefore I have to associate that with myself. You know, and actually, I wanted to point out something that's kind of based, branched off of what you were talking about earlier. Uh, in my own arguments, like when you say, you know, when they said who will make the decisions about what's best and what's not, and you, know, you, you just want to look at them and say we're going to use whatever's best. Through the scientific method, you can figure that out. It, it's not hard. You know, it, it's, it's not as though you have a choice. I mean, I mean, I suppose you could choose to do something irrational and stupid if you wanted to, but why would you? You know, well, not a, the way I, I would handle that if a guy would say, who makes the decisions? I'd say, well, I'd like you to be able to make the decisions. What is contaminated water and, and purified water? See, if you know what that means, then you build a special plant to kind of clean up the dirty waters. Uh, that's who makes the decisions. What do people need to have a well-rounded physiological function? They need certain nutrients. Who decides that? People that study nutrients, nutrition, and its effects on the human body. It, it isn't your grandfather. It may be a nice guy, but he knows nothing about nutrition. So you see, people that study nutrition are more apt to come up with better solutions. So when a person says, well, who's going to decide? Uh, you don't decide how your automobiles will be engineers. Engineers, engineers decide that. You don't decide how many cables or how thick the cables are to support a bridge. Structural engineers decide that. Now, that's not their own opinion. It's based on finding and testing, which is the best way. I don't yeah. know any other way. Well, you know, and I understand. No, you're right. And that's, the, you know, one of the things they also argue about, because they're always defending the monetary system being the, supposed, the price mechanism supposedly being the fairest way to distribute resources and that somehow we're trying to take away their choice to do this. And I, I usually, have the, the analogy I use is this. There is only so many resources. Nobody in the Venus Project is going to deny you resources based on anything other than what is available. You can push your gas, you know, your, you, basically, you can push the gas pedal on your car, but it's only going to run as long as you have gasoline. And regardless of whatever civil rights you think you have, if you continue to push the pedal and there's no gasoline in the car, it's going to stop running. <laughs> it, it, these are the they're scientific facts. It's not a question of choice. The choices that they're trying to protect are the ones that are destroying the earth. It's like you want freedom to destroy yourselves. That, that's, the, that's what they're clinging to, essentially. I mean, and they still don't understand that we don't advocate force or coercion anyway, but because other groups of people with similar ideas in their mind, usually very, very misunderstanding of us, if they did it, then they assume that we must be wanting to do it, and that's not it at all. We want to enlighten people. They'll make their own decisions. They'll do, make smart decisions. When they make you know, logic and the scientific method, they're, you know, essentially their guide as opposed to just being something that they let other, other people do for them to build better toys. You know, and it's, it's always amazing to me that you know, people think that we're trying to take something from them when we say that we want to distribute resources using in, you know, intelligent application as opposed to some ridiculous rat race of working for somebody more than, you know, you know, in a way that benefits them more than yourself. Um, I'd, I'd like to get back to our questions here. You actually are, you already answered number three um, it, when you were answering number two about the city. So um, now people have asked, they've kind of furthered the questions about the interdisciplinary teams. Uh, how will interdisciplinary disciplinary teams be recruited? I know you said by their works, but who will make the selections? 
Like, as in who will actually decide who will be on the interdisciplinary team? Well, I suppose we, we want to put a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. We have to get together with rocket experts, people that build rockets, people that build rapid acceleration machines, people that know chemistry, people, there's the kind of people to get together to build a rocket ship. If you want to build a battleship, you get military planners together. If you want to build a hospital, you grant a group of surgeons and say, what do you need in that building? How, what kind of machines do you need? We need ultrasonic machines, we need MRIs, we need all x-ray machines. They decide what kind of equipment goes in. How much equipment do you need depends on how big the problem is. If millions of people have cystic fibrosis, then the equipment given to hospitals will depend on the condition of the population. See, decisions are not made by a board of directors. They're made by the physical conditions that surround us. Right. And, I, you know, actually something else just occurred to me because one of the parts of this question was who gets in and who gets into the teams and who does not. And it was like, well, I don't really see that there would really need to be a limit on how many people could choose to be involved in a project. I mean, this it's hilarious that people ask questions like this and then are later telling us that we're not going to be able to find anybody to do anything. But, uh, you know, if, if it comes down to it, if you get a lot of people together, then the project's only going to be done better, not worse. I mean, you still have to make sure you don't work over top of each other, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. But you just have to, you know, as long as everybody, you know, as long as the ego is eliminated uh, as being the, the main... Let's focus, say outgrown, okay? Yeah, outgrown it's is a good an infantile practice ego. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, um, the next question that people brought up, uh, people are interested in building your domed houses. Have you considered offering these designs in open source or open license, basically making them public property that could not be profited on, but then you could share them openly? Shaq started a long time ago in his early 20s or 30s, and he started making products. He did houses, medical devices, a lot of different things, automobiles, boats, ships, but realize that those types of things is not what solves the problems that we have in the culture. So now we're not interested in making products or another home. That's not going to solve anything. Our dilemmas are not from the types of, if we had a, a green city or a green building, that's not going to change the value system in the culture that enables people to go to war and, and have patriotism and, and make bombs. So we're, we're interested in, and we're using all of our time in introducing a new social direction for the sanity and survival of, of the culture, a sustainable culture, a total culture, not just housing. So it would be a waste of our time. We would be ignoring what's really significant if we work on just housing. So a lot of people ask us to make houses. It'd be like people saying, well, can you make a better wrench or a better um, football or, you know, a better TV? It's, it's really not going to solve anything. What's on TV that counts, not the TV set. I see where you're coming from on that. Um, now, uh, let's see, we have number six. What do you think of robotic and computerized security that can detect detect violent intent to a person or facility in a you know, resource-based economy and prevent it from happening? They are starting to use this technology in airports to detect if someone's facial expressions and vital signs show enough distress to be violent. 
Uh, now, I know Jack does not want machines monitoring people, but would this application be acceptable, even if it is just to, so that action can be taken just to see if the person needs help? Maybe they're distressed and, you know. Only under the conditions that every senator and congressman would be exposed to that machine first. <laughs> and, the guy that, and the guy that invented it. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, they're yeah, definitely. First. I'm trying to tell you the role for this shit. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, you, but um, I guess they were just asking if that would be a good way to prevent crime it's in the right. future. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Mm -hmm. Remember, I don't remember the story, but some Frenchman years ago made wings that he could wear that stretched out three feet on each side, and he jumped off the Eiffel Tower, and he died. And his brother-in-law wrote, make wings larger next time. Well, um, Jacques, we're now on to the second hour. Do you guys mind sticking around? I could uh, take callers, maybe ask some questions in the chat. And that'd be fine. Sure. Okay. Um, well, uh, that brings it basically to you guys, the listeners. If you have questions, um, if you could post them in bold in the chat, or if you would like to call in, uh, the call-in number for the show is 347-945-7747. That's 347-945-7747. Um, you should be able to find it actually on the page that you're listening to the show on. Now, I'm going to ask you guys ahead of time, when you're asking questions, uh, I've watched Jacques have to give lectures more than once, and some people, they get up on the mic and they give, like, a, an essay. It's like they want to give a speech before they get around to asking your question. <laughs> Just ask the question. There's a lot of people who would like to hear Mr. Fresco talk. Um, so, anyway, bearing that in mind, the switchboard has not lit up yet. I will come back to that. Um, I'm going to check here on the, on the chat room and see if anything's developed there. Um, but uh, otherwise, I've got, you know, just some questions of my own that I hear frequently. Uh, one person was asking, when you were young, Jacques, what made you gravitate towards science as opposed to the arts? As opposed to the arts, did you say? Yeah. Yes. Well, there is such a thing as scientific art. It's called technical illustration, where people did books, wonderful books, on how to on surgery before cameras were able to photograph things. Guys like Leonardo da Vinci made drawings, and his art was social. It wasn't just a bunch of random blotches of paint on the canvas. It was about something. And then other people called themselves artists and just chased their cat over some paint, and he ran the cat ran over some canvas, and they sold it as abstract art. You know, what, what is really art? What is it? You have to check these things out. There's a lot of stuff that passes for art, and there are a lot of people that are called fashion illustrators. They design clothing, and that's a shameful profession because they should be anatomists first to design the clothing to be sensible, easy to wear, easy to get together, shoes that breathe while you walk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The reason that shoe designers, people sit down and draw a pretty picture of a shoe with a pointed toe that hurts the physiology, makes it difficult to walk, these are socially offensive patterns that are accepted as right and normal. They're really just to make money, change the pattern every year. 
you can always tell when the shoe is pointed, next year it's going to be square. <clears throat> so you just buy more products that you don't need just to keep the economy going. It doesn't mean anything fashion. Yeah. Oh, no, I've, I've definitely fired up on fashion uh, quite a bit, actually, because they're always asking why in some of your drawings everybody's wearing the same clothing, and I always have to point out to them that it's not that anybody in the Venus Project is going to force you to wear any certain clothing. It's just that, you know, basically fashion is crap. It, it's garbage. It's, it's something that was just sent, basically made up to sell clothing. I mean, I yeah. learned that more than ever when I was a kid because if you were, like, uh, I always use the, the, the jeans example because there were certain jeans that were more fashionable than others, and the only thing that was different on them was the price and the label, you know. Right. And, it was so ridiculous. Yeah, the artificial stains that you put on them. <laughs> yes, I remember they that. Look worn. And people think that's important and real. Shameful. Yeah. You can do anything with people. You get them to worship candles, anything. It depends on how much control you have. The more control you have, the more you can manage society. And what it's all about is the control of the human mind. It's always been controlled. And in the future, the difference is that the control is toward the well-being of every individual. Yeah. To bring out the best in every human being. That's the It's still another form of control. You always, when you raise a child to be a Catholic or a Lutheran or an American or a Nazi, that's all control. What do you think it is? And if you bring up your child to think very differently than you do, you, you lose control of your child. So you make a good Catholic boy of him. But you don't think in terms of what is the best for my child. You can't think that way because you're part of the institutions. They got you when they were very young. They pumped all kinds of crap into your head and telling you this is right and that's wrong. There's no right, there's no wrong. These are all made up by man to control other people. Religion is an attempt at controlling human behavior that failed all over the world. It says in all the Bibles, thou shalt not kill, and they're nothing but killing machines. People have been killing for centuries, and going to church never diminished that. There are a few religious people that I respect, and there are things like Doctors Without Borders. These are wonderful people. You know, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, they worked. They didn't just talk about things. They tried to change things. And that's the real people that I admire. No, I agree with you there completely. Um, you know, a lot of things changed on the different people that I chose to admire. Uh, you know, some of my personal heroes, you know, used to include people now that I, I wouldn't necessarily say I, I dislike those people now, but I just, I realized that my values changed so much, you know, um, and, and just like, for example, there were certain athletes I used to admire. And then I look back on that now and I'm like, why is that such a big deal? You know, um, it, it just, it's, it's interesting to me, actually, how much the value system changes also when you recognize how much the profit motive makes you makes you think about what's you know what's important to you and what isn't, and how you much know, of it is worship people go. that are wealthy. Oh yeah. I listen to them on TV. I don't like to name them, but I've never heard so many stupid people in my life. 
as the wealthiest people we admire rather than the people that are working on heart disease, cystic fibrosis, better bridges, better, safer cars. These are the real people that count, but your wealthy people are the manipulators. Oh, absolutely. It looks like we finally got callers. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take one now. Uh, caller from the 888 area code, you're on the air. Hello, it's Thunder. Oh, hey, Thunder, what's going on? Um, I have a question. Well, bring it on. Okay, hi, Jock and Roxanne, how are you? That wasn't hey, my Thunder, question, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious, um, I've heard you talk a lot about uh, machine that, that decisions will be arrived at, uh, and they won't be ma based on somebody's opinion. At what point do you believe that machines or computers will completely remove the human decision-making process out of the equation? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, the Army today uh, and the Army in the past, the Air Force, a pilot used to look out at the airplane and say, I'm about, I think I'm about a mile high. Today they use Doppler radar, which gives you your height pretty damn close. No human can do that. So right. it isn't a machine takeover. It's that machines are being designed, assigned more decision-making. Do you understand? Like if you put, pick up a ball of metal and you put it on a scale, you more have to get its weight and a guy holding it in his hand. So it isn't that the machines take over. They're being assigned decision-making because they're more accurate. Machines can handle today a thousand trillion bits of information per second. No group of humans can do that anymore. And the world is so complex technologically that humans can't handle it anymore. Humans can't they say, well, can a machine be better than the designer? Airplanes today can fly 2,000 miles an hour, space vehicles 17,000 miles an hour and more. No human that designed that can travel at that speed. Machines are always faster than the inventor in doing anything. So if machines could never be better than the inventor, they wouldn't use them in the, in the bottle factory. The bottle factories move bottles faster than the designer can, always surpass the designer. So it is not a machine takeover, which a lot of dumb roboticists are talking about. Machines have no ambition. They don't want to take over. They don't want to control people. Your computer doesn't give a damn if they work at Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It doesn't say, by golly, I need a day of rest. The computer doesn't care. Computer doesn't feel that way. Computer doesn't have a gut reaction. So there's no basis for machine takeover. There will be assigned tasks that humans can't handle. There are machines today that spray jets under buildings where it takes one pound of push to move one ton of weight. No human can do that without machines. So machines are really extensions of human attributes. If you look at the microscope, no matter how good your eyesight is, you can't see germs. So we use machines. 
we use a microscope. We use an electron microscope if we want to see the smallest particles. No human can do that, and a man designed that, or a woman designed that, and it surpasses their performance. Yes, do you think machines will be better than men? Of course they are. No human can can run 2,000 miles an hour. Yeah, no human can launch himself off the Earth and go to the moon without being in a rocket ship. You know, and I think that um, I think some people forget that it's not like because, as you said, the machines are not going to be taking over. You know, it's not like we're not going to have an override if, for some reason, a machine malfunctions. Um, You know, I mean, we're we're still the humans here. We determine whether or not these machines have power. I mean, that's that's barring. I don't believe in any of these ridiculous, just nonsense theories that you know machines are going to develop some kind of malicious intent on their own. I think that's about as likely as the machine being possessed by demons. And right. since I don't, and since I don't believe in demons, I don't believe that's going to happen either. I think that people have a tendency to try to associate everything with themselves, and so they always assume that machines are going to be like us. That's why you've got to remember in the old days, uh, it is not guided missiles; they're guided by people. Right. People fly bombers and they press a button and drop an atom bomb. It's people that pollute the earth and the air and the water, not the machines. Machines are used incorrectly, inhumanely. That's the problem. When a new machine comes into the factory, the boss doesn't say, all right, you folks, now you work three hours a day because the machine's going to make a lot of money for all of us. And I'm going to increase your pay and your vacation time will be extended by one month so you can really spend time with your family. That is not being done. It is the abuse of technology that I worry about and the stupidity of humans using technology the wrong way. And when things go wrong in the future with certain machines, there'd be a lot of redundancy. But you can't do that today because it's expensive. Right. Even though the resources are all there, we can't afford it. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, and, um, actually, go ahead, Thunder. I was just going to say that all makes sense, and I understand that. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at is... We know that machines are, can only be as smart as the person that is programming them. I guess what I'm asking is, do you believe that at some point that we will become intelligent enough, because we're all pretty stupid right now if you think about it, but on an intellectual level, do you believe we'll become intelligent enough that we can program the machines to be more intelligent than us and think about things that we can't think about that will make things better? Not, not that it will take on a personality or an emotional uh, thing, but that they will actually start to think about things that we can't think of and, and further uh, our progression into the future. I can only agree that machines will do that eventually. They'll point out the limitations of our language, and then we'll learn from machines better communication. Right. And more intelligent decision-making. But it depends on how many sensors we put on machines. You know, I think even in bridges today, they're putting more and more sensors on bridges so they'll know where uh, the areas of weakness and stress will be. And if you do that throughout the, the culture, then they'll come up with more appropriate decisions, more so than what we could see. You know, and uh, something else that I would add to that um, is that... Uh, 
that in addition to all of these advancements we will have with machines, we have to remember that in this society that we're talking about, human beings will evolve so fast, you know, because of all the, the cultivation and, you know, critical thinking and education, uh, you know, science, you know, being, you know, being focused on science, you know, on so many things, you know, just so many vain entertainments that we do now that are only entertaining to us because our brains want to rest from all the dumb things we make them do, you know, <laughs> that human beings will come so far, you know, it, honestly, I, and I think it, it's not just that the technology is going to get away from us now. And, and in addition to that, though, is that right now with our value system, our technology is becoming dangerous, and that's why we need to that's achieve a higher consciousness. It's dangerous. It's a misuse of it. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I know what you and mean. And doing that. I'm saying with our Move value it. system, it, I, with our value system, we are becoming dangerous because of our... Yeah, that, that's kind of what I meant. But um, we have another caller. Was there anything else, Thunder? No, that was great. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate all that you do, and, and keep doing what you're doing. It's great. Thanks, Thunder. We appreciate what you're doing in towards this direction also. Thank Excellent. you. All right. Um, well, now we have a caller from the 604 area code. You're on the air. Hi, guys. Daryl calling from Vancouver here. Um, I was just hoping to ask a question that's a little off-key from the direction we've been going in this evening, but I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit more on the films that are being produced and more specifically the CGI duties that you're going to need done. Elaborate like on 3D animated. animated, sorry. 3D animation. We're working on films and 3D animation to help people understand what the future can be not what it will be. I don't know what it will be. All we can do is put out the best we know how to put out. And so the films will be a, an instrument to help people understand how their mind works, what creativity is, what art really means. It goes into semantics, communication, the history of civilization. It doesn't talk about right or wrong. These are man-made values. You know, it was considered right to feed Christians to lions at one time. It was considered right to have slaves. That's in America, by the way. It was considered, they said, well, God put the black man here to serve us. God made the beast of burden to pull our plows. Man projects like hell into everything, his own limited value system. He's the most dangerous organism that ever existed. Man may bring an end to his own species with nuclear weapons polluting the earth and the oceans and everything else. He's one of the, you know, they keep saying man's the best product of evolution, the finest product of evolution. He puts himself on a pedestal. He may be destroying the earth and everything wonderful on it. Man at present is a dumb animal. And I'm sorry about what I'm saying. But again, I say it because I do respect you out there. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, question it. Getting back to what we're working on, too, there's so many things we want to do. Um, and, and we do need help with all that. We want to do many pieces to introduce this direction in different ways. We want to do a course on the Venus Project with, with text and more video and animation about what the future could look like. I, I want to mention that Jack has, has been working on this all his life, and he and technically also, just what it could be like. In a, um, 
in, in a, a future with, with abundance. So he has literally hundreds and hundreds of beautiful sketches, and he continues to do them every day, too, on all, on all aspects of society, from transportation, housing, cities, um, surgical instruments, just interiors of homes, just everything. It spans the gamut. And so animators are helping us now animate certain things so we can present it in, in the, a course on the, on the Venus Project. We also would like to do a 20-minute video on just, you know, the direction of the Venus Project um, so people can download it and present it to other people. So it's not a, a longer video. And Peter Joseph is going to be using some of the animations too. And his pieces are more educational which are extremely important. He has other aspects of, of presenting the Venus Project. So we're trying to make as many different pieces as we can, and the animation will go towards all of them. That sounds good. So we need exciting. help with, 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 you know, we'd, we'd like help from, with funding to do this, with film people to do this, with producers and directors and editors also, and uh, animators, and just everything that will help present this in a more visually in a more visual way. Yep. Wait, the caller was going to say something. What was it? Oh no, I was just saying it all sounds really exciting, and I just look forward like very much. I'm very anxious to work with you guys on that. Um, I guess I'll just uh, email you about maybe pitching in. Um, I do CGI, so I've just been reading the uh, forum on the main movement site, and I'm part of that uh, 3D visualization group and so all of this film talk really is very very invigorating as well as the whole doctrine of the whole movement but um, yeah so I just really appreciate all of the thought well thanks well, if, if anyone who's interested in doing 3D animation can uh, drop the Venus Project a line on the contact area the contact page on the Venus Project website because sometimes uh, we can't even keep up with all the things that are going on the Zeitgeist Forum, and I know a lot of the people who wanted to do computer animation are are getting together there, but we're not aware of them here. So we're going to be combining a lot of that in our our new site. You know, we're doing a new Joomla site too, and going to have more capabilities on it. And uh, Zeitgeist site will be combined in a lot of areas, including the animation, the people who are interested in animation. We'll be coordinating that more so. Okay. Great. I look forward to working with you in the future then. This is very exciting. Yeah, I'm looking, looking forward Thanks, to seeing guys. what comes out of that myself. Anyway, thank you for calling in. Um, no problem. Anna, I'm talk to you. Yep. Neil, uh, the Venus Project is as near the belief, religious beliefs of all religions because it does away with money, greed, Poverty, hunger, war, and all the churches, if they understood the Venus Project, they'd all get behind it because if everything that the church talks about, we want to translate it into a living system rather than a paper proclamation or a book or a building you go to every Sunday and verbalize where religion becomes a verbal hobby rather than a real, actual practice. Yeah, definitely. You know, and um, I, you know, actually, when we're talking about projects, uh, recently Roxanne sent me an email that you guys got from somebody, I guess, who lives in Argentina who works for DC Comics, 
Um, and it just so happens that uh, I'm a comic book writer, and I was like going to get together with doing a project with him about the possibility of doing a Venus Project comic book. Oh, to try to, yeah, to try to communicate our ideas. Um, I actually have seen comic books used for this medium before, and uh, there's actually a really good book that I recommend all the time called Addicted to War that very much directly uh, in your face points to the, the problems of the monetary system affecting mm-hmm. war. Um, and it's my hope to try to do a comic book to try to help people with the abstracts about understanding these concepts. Good. Um, and I'm also hoping, I'm working with a couple people together about the possibility of making some of my own short films or trying to communicate to specific politically minded groups, you know, like uh, Venus Project for Libertarians is the first one I'm going to work on. Um, but, you know, just it, it's, it, it's very exciting, all the different directions that we're taking here. And um, now, just, I'm ge- go ahead. I just want to mention on the new site that we're getting up soon, I hope, I, we're going to have translations into all the different languages, too, on the Venus Project site. But we are going to have a section there where people can go and download um, all the medium that they're doing, you know, poems and music and, and videos and everything they're doing towards introducing this direction. So if they just submit it, we'll put it up there. Now, oh yeah, excellent. Um, I'm getting a question from the chat room. I'm going to see how best to frame this, but uh, he wants me to ask, okay, about the administration system, for instance, hierarchy within the system or lack thereof, how much power over people do the administrative teams have? They have no power over people. All they get is assignments like we need so many tons of food for this district, we need so many thousands of gallons of water and so much electrical power for this area. They're only given assignments. They don't control people. No one controls anyone in the future. Yeah, I guess, well, you, 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 yeah, give, you give engineers assignments. You say, we want to put a man on the moon, or we want to build a, a new power plant for a city of 50,000 people. That's assignments. They don't control things. Yeah, that's... We don't want to control people. We don't want machines to control people. We just want to control the delivery of goods and services, medical care, food. All that will be done by machine. But the machines do not monitor people. Well, yeah, no, I totally get that. And I understand also that the whole point of the, the machines, you know, delegating where the resources are going is so that we can make sure that everybody has the best possible standard of living. Um, in its, huh. yeah, yeah, at the time. And, you know, so that it, you know, which, of course, is an emergent and ever-evolving thing. Now, I mean, I guess people are saying, now, how are the assignments framed? How do people get chosen for these tasks? You've kind of already answered this earlier, but, you know, they're bringing it up. Um, you know, oh, and, like, I guess this person is asking, like, if you had multiple people who need their, you needed their homes relocated or something, uh, how, do, you know, how does that get decided? Or actually, no, this is how he's framing it. Now, let's say your house is on top of a, a really important resource, um, you know, does the Venus Project have the right to just pick up that person's house and move it to get at the resource for the good of mankind? Or oh, go ahead. You don't own anything in the Venus Project. It's just like saying, I own the Earth. The Earth is here. You got all that for nothing. Beautiful forests, lovely oceans, beautiful trees and flowers. And then if you're born in America, you got the radio, the telephone. You didn't work for it. You got it all for nothing, and we're ruining a lot of it. 
So you see, getting things for nothing doesn't hurt people. Not getting things that you need hurts people. So in the future, just as you got the earth, you won't own anything anymore. You will use everything. There'll be bicycles out in the country all lined up for your use. There'll be sailboats which you don't own. You can go out on a cruise whenever you want to. You don't have to fill out any forms or see Jack Fresco and ask him for permission. It's there for your use. Do you understand? Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, I've right, actually... so, so if you don't own anything anymore, you might say, well, I'd like to live on the mountaintop. Well, go ahead and live on the mountaintop. There's a lot of houses up there for you. You don't have to come to me for that. It's not like there'd be one home that people would want to live in their whole lives. There'll be so many things to do and so many places to go. As they grow and change, their, their dwellings and environments will change. Yeah, the only thing you own in the future is the artwork that you create, but you're not allowed to sell it to anyone because there's no money anymore. You can give it to people. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely think that people have a tendency that it, it is often hard to talk to them about this. It's like, you know, I know right now I would not be sitting in this house doing what I'm doing right this second other than, you know, I'd still be spreading awareness and talking to people and, you know, and, and socializing and philosophizing, but, you know, I would not be stuck here, you know, the way I am right now. People tend to think of, like, their, their personal belongings as a benefit instead of a burden, you know. Um, then you want to go somewhere and you can't because you have a house. It's like, actually, one of the reasons I can't move is because I own this house and it's very hard to sell a manufactured home, you know, so. Of your own greed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Every, and it's, it's amazing people don't recognize that. And it's, it's also, I mean, materialism gets so out of hand. It's like I have friends, for example, who they've got a really expensive cell phone. They've got a really expensive car you know, payment, a really expensive house payment. And I ask them if they want to go do something on Thursday, and they can't do it. And I ask them why. And they're like, well, I have to work all these extra hours to pay for all my stuff. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute here. Who's in charge? You or your stuff? It's like I always it's like a philosophical point that I made was, I refuse to be a slave to my stuff. You know, it, you get stuck, you know, with, it, you know it, it, with basically debt to so many different things that are not even really important. And as a result, you spend, like, most of your time working to be able to pay for the stuff. You don't ever even get the chance to really enjoy it. You know, it, 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 it's really hard for people to recognize how different their, their, uh, their uh, and then when you get wealthy and you get a boat for um, $100,000 and you hang out with people who are more wealthy than you and they have a $2 million boat, then you want to work harder and get a $3 million boat. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, and, oh, go ahead. People try to impress one another with their homes rather than design a home to serve your needs. You know what I mean? People buy homes to say I got I got forty acres or I got I got ten rooms and guest rooms or I got paintings from the great artists. They try to live on the merits of other people. They try to get by by saying I live next door to this great person or I live near a person. They try to get recognition through the labors of others. I find that. Ninety percent of the wealthy people that I met do not read, do not are, are not well informed, 
They have opinions about everything and know very little about anything except investments. And they're very crude. You know, they remind me of vultures flying over an animal that's about to die on the desert. They buy up homes that people lost. They wait around, they find out, hey, this factory is going broke, I can buy the machines for less. It's just the same as vultures. But they don't look at it that way. They call themselves shrewd businessmen. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And you know, and further to, you know, pointing out on the things that we were talking about previously is the fact that um, you know, I, rich kids, for example, who have everything supposedly that they want, you know, in a, in that society, it, it never ends. It's like they they get bored. That's the funny thing. They get everything that they want or what they claim that they want. All the toys, actually, I wouldn't say claim what they're conditioned to believe they should want. You know, it, you can only buy so many jet skis. You can only own so many sports cars. And, and they, they basically do everything that they're told to that's supposedly going to make them happy. And then when they're finished, they're miserable. You know, and it's, what's even funnier is that uh, one of the other benefits of reenactment is that I, re, I meet people from various walks of life. I know people on welfare, and I know people who are very well-to-do. And they're all complaining about their money problems. So and you're like, my, my friend who lives in a one-bedroom house with his two kids and his my wife, and they're trying to move and they can't do anything, you know, he's miserable. But so is my friend with two brand-new cars and a 12-bedroom house, you know, who works in the in computer industry, is always complaining about his money problems. You know, and it is, it's because you're always stressed out over it. And, and that's the funny thing is just that, you know, even once you've been handed all the toys, because I know people who get all the toys, they're, they're miserable. You know, they, they're not happy, and it's because they basically you know, separated the, from their true, the like school, their true self. The schools of the future will teach people how to find meaning in their lives, how to relate to one another, how to express yourself in all areas. All of the artificialities will be gone. That's the only way we'll make it in the future. If we get rid of the lies and artificialities, and the man-made laws and the man-made notions about gods and demons, you know, or, or sacrifice. They use words like sacrifice, you know. In the old days when the volcano acted up, the witch doctor recommended that you drop your brother-in-law into the volcano as a sacrifice. If that didn't work, you drop your sister-in-law in. But you never drop the witch doctor in. Mm-hmm. You understand? Oh, yeah, definitely. And a man invents his own patterns, and then he teaches children those patterns. The only way he controls them, can control them is by teaching them his, his patterns. You're a Greek and you're proud of it. You're a Jew and you're proud of it. You're a Catholic and you're proud of it. But if you do that to everybody, you're dividing people up. You're you not know, bringing them together. Actually, you know, this is kind of back to a previous point you were making, and I know a lot of people freak out about this when they hear it initially, but it has to do with um, what you were talking about uh, in regards to, like, how people don't really know what they want and that you have to tell them what they want. You know, the, the capitalists immediately would just get up in arms and they'd say, well, you know, you're going to, you know, I can tell myself what I want, and they don't recognize that the capitalist system is telling them what they want all the time. Um, okay, I think back to a... Yeah, I think back to that study that they did about how they were going to get women to smoke cigarettes. You might actually know about this. Uh, I forget the, the psychologist's name, but he was a relative of Freud's. And they hired him to help them figure out how to change the psychology 
about smoking so that they could get women to smoke. And they, they staged like a false protest to make it look like it was a sign of a woman being strong and independent if she smoked. You know, and that came out of the capitalist system, out of the profit motive, because they wanted to sell cigarettes to women. You know, and, and that liquor, beer, all of that sort of stuff. The government makes a lot of money on cigarettes and beer and whiskey. Exactly. And you, know, and you get told what you want, even if it's detrimental. You know, and, it's, and people don't understand that. You know, it's, there's so many things. They can't understand it because the way they're brought up, they're brainwashed when they're very young. Right. Yep, I know, I, I totally get it, and it, it goes on even. I mean, it's just like, you know, how many things that you've seen on TV that you decided were cool that you wanted because, you know, maybe it was like some kind of social stratification situation. Well, look at this guy. He's got a Mustang. That must make him somehow better. Oh, and then, like, success. The concept of what success is is such a sham. You know, it's like you know, people are looked at as though they are less of a person unless, unless their job acquires a lot of those uh, you know, a lot of money. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Ram, um, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, but he actually did a really good book called Prometheus Rising that discusses everything that you're talking about, about environment, um, you know, being, you know, essentially what creates a human being. And he, he calls money bio-survival tickets because it, it basically, money has so much power because of what it represents to your subconscious. It's your survival and you end up basically like worshiping it like a god, you know, just like uh, the primitive people would with the sun because they didn't really understand what it was. You know, and I don't think that people have realized this because when they try to defend the money system, they act like it's, it's a tool, but it's not a tool. It's your master. It, it just it gets out of hand really fast. And, you know, even if we just, you know, the, the thing they always bring up about let's go to the gold standard, you know, or let's have sound money, I always say again, you know, we're going to do it again. You know, the only thing consistent about the money system is that it always gets corrupted. You know, and as Einstein said, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. All they're interested in you about is being a consumer. They don't really care about you at all. Yep. That, George Carlin made that most eloquently. I actually play that clip from time to time on my show. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. I, you know, and it's it's sad to me how many people are really deprived of this. They don't really think about, you know, where their values come from. And in addition to that, they're always scared of words like re-education. Like Alex Jones tried to, actually Alex lied, but he, he basically said that we wanted to re-educate people. And I said, so what is Infowars all about? It's supposed to be about re-educating people. That's what you're trying to do right now. You're trying to bring everybody up to the awareness of what you believe the New World Order or whatever it is is going to do. And it's funny because the funny thing is, is that his methods actually end up making people stupid because then they don't think anymore. They just do whatever he says, and then they start analyzing everything to try to find some way to scare themselves with it. You know, it just, and some of the generalizations they make are so terrible. I have to tell people all the time. You have to be wary of this sort of thing. It's you know, like in the Ron Paul movement, and I still like Ron Paul as a congressman, but so many of my friends just do whatever the guy says without ever questioning it. And I ended up outside of that group. I ended up ostracized because I didn't just go along with everything Ron Paul said. I didn't agree with some of the things he did. And they acted like you know, it was just, actually it's very similar to what Jacques encountered when he went into that Marxist meeting. You know, they, they didn't want anything to do with me anymore because I dared to deviate. You know, and... I don't think people recognize this. This is all that stuff that you just it goes on around you at all times, and people are just not cognitive of it, and they don't want to be. They don't want to believe that these things control them. They want to believe that 
they're completely in control all the time. And that's how you end up with people saying ridiculous things to you in debate, like, well, what is gravity? It's just a word. It's not a rule. I actually had somebody say that to me in a debate about the Venus Project because I was pointing out to them why science is absolute. I mean, it, it can be wrong at times, but the difference is, is that science, when it's wrong, will correct itself. <laughs> Political ideas go on for centuries before anybody abandons them. Religions go on for centuries before anybody abandons them because they take on a life of their own, you know, and they get to become associated with the ego. But do you have anything to comment on that, Jacques? Yes, I don't violate what religion talks about, and they have an outlet called confession. So they confess their sins or repent. But they repent for a week or two and then go back and sin again. So the whole whole idea is one big joke. It's a sad story. I find religion a very sad story and a very poor way of accounting for human behavior, particularly in India where there are people that are assigned uh, titles like untouchables Mm -hmm. and they become rat catchers and they feed rats to their family because they can't get out of that position it's supposed to be the land of great wisdom. There's great stupidity in India also. Yep. Oh, you know what? Actually, that brings up another point I was thinking about is that you have to be careful about how you were helping people. You brought this up earlier, and then I didn't get a chance to bring it up. But, like, when we thought we were helping people in India by curing their infant mortality problem, we didn't educate them properly, like you were pointing out is necessary. So India ended up with this huge population explosion because we didn't inform them, because basically because they had so much infant mortality, their culture decided that it was a sign of riches and prosperity to have a lot of children. So as soon as we cured their infant mortality rate problem, then they have now an overpopulation problem. You know, and it's, it's causing mass starvation. It's an example of what happens when mankind doesn't think things through before they do it. So we call it a redesign of a culture means all aspects of our social system should be designed to take care of the environment and all our fellow human beings without destroying nature and one another or killing. As long as there are soldiers in the field, as long as there's armies, navies, police and prisons, we are not civilized. I agree with you there, and I think that it's you know we mankind as a whole gets very arrogant in the way that they do things, and it's uh, they don't really look at the whole picture of everything they're doing. And I remember like uh, the Native Americans usually would say that the white man has a tendency to try to, um, and I just use that as a generalization. I'm not racist, but uh, they they um, you know they, they they try to do things from perspective of mastering everything rather than trying to be part of it, rather than trying to be part of the whole, you know, and and that that's dangerous. Eventually it leads you to all kinds of problems. And, you know, generally I think what they were referring to when they said the white man is they were just referring to the very industrialized United States of the time that just wanted to gobble up all the available land it could get to build more railroads, to make more money, you know, and it's people need to understand that um, people need to understand that, that, that's dangerous. We have to look at things in their totality. We have to look at every aspect of everything, or you end up in situations like that. You go well, into it's, a, much, it's much so easier for people to call you an agitator, mm-hmm. maladjusted person. 
in this culture, you would be called maladjusted agitator. Oh, I get that all the time. <laughs> all the titles that we use are all culturally determined. In other words, like I said before, a judge would be considered a criminal in the future. Or politicians would be considered criminals. You understand? Because they don't have any solutions to anything, and they lie. They say things people like to hear. They don't speak the truth. If they spoke the truth, if they knew what it was, they'd never get elected. Oh, yeah. We saw that firsthand, and that's that's one of the reasons what I tell the people in the Ron Paul movement that, you know, if, if the if the system was working so well for you, then why did Ron Paul, a well-intentioned, you know, guy do so poorly you know it, it's because of the fact that he was you know he could have been a better person for the job than the other you know the other people but better for the people is not better for the establishment so you end up with a couple worried of about like making bad decisions people yeah. made terrible decisions they they followed hitler they followed mussolini and they, sometimes they say what if the machine fails just recently a pilot died of a heart attack in the passenger airliner. You know, sometimes machines break down, but you can design it with redundant units. So there's six units that control an airplane on separate circuits rather than depend on one. Hospitals work that way. When there's a power failure, the lights go on automatically. So if they're doing surgery and you have a power failure, the emergency lighting goes on right away. Nobody has to turn it on. I guess that they would feel they, they would feel more secure if they, if they had the the right to not turn on the power. <laughs> <laughs> if they were protecting their right to, to to die, if they were on a heart monitor, I wonder how many of these you know these people that are so concerned about their rights to not die, uh, you know, how they would feel about that automated machine keeping them alive. Um, you know, or lungs, like lung machines breathing for you, you know, are they taking your freedom away by breathing for you? <laughs> you know, you just want to fight for that? You know, just, it, it's amazing to me, actually, because you, you run into, uh, I used to call them freedom crazy, because you'd run into people who their their pursuit of liberty went so far that it would just get to the point where it would start to, to come around behind itself and start devouring its tail like a snake, meaning that, you know, They'd want their freedom so much to the point where they didn't realize that now their freedoms are going into actually hurting other people and taking other people's freedoms away. You know, it's, oh. they, they lose themselves in it to the point where they're irrational about it. They always have been, <laughs> as long as they live in a given or established society. Uh, just so you, some people out there don't misunderstand me, all nations are corrupt. They're all comprised of stupid leaders. That won't make the history books of the future. I think they're all inadequate. We need a global society without militarism, without jealousy, patriotism, poverty, hunger. There's no need for that anymore. We have the knowledge, the technology, and the equipment to wipe out the slums all over the world. We could have done it all in 1927. It isn't new. It's just that people have been kept away from that which is essential. Yep, and you know, it's also it's what is what is essential is usually always uh, it's it, it's funny actually. It's like when we talk about once again, we're talking about different environments. You know, in, in one family, 
the young girl might be really upset, like she's going to die if she doesn't get the prom dress she wants. This is something that really upsets her. It doesn't even occur to her that she's eating. You know, if you, if you, say, if you then look at a poor young girl in, say, Bangladesh, who's just concerned about whether or not she's going to be able to eat, you know, it's, it's a totally different value system. If you gave that girl in Bangladesh a prom dress, she'd look at you like you were crazy. Get me some food, <laughs> you know. It just, it's, and, and people don't, they, I, I, like I said, it, it, I just, I keep repeating it because it just becomes more and more clear in my head, is that the reason that people don't want to understand this is because they all want to believe that, you know, everything is either some uh, deity that's going to save them when they go to heaven, or, you know, so therefore there's some supernatural excuse for everything, you know, or it's the human nature excuse. Actually, that brings up what kind of what we were talking about at the beginning was that, you know, people want to believe in this mythical human nature thing so that they have something else to blame things on. You know, it's, it's, it's the new devil. You know, I remember not long ago there was a movie uh, that they, they brought out called The Watchmen, and there was all kinds of different arguments about it because a couple of the characters in the movie thought that if they got enough energy for everybody that war would stop. So, therefore, people paid attention because it's somewhat relevant to what we're talking about. But the, the, mis- the, the problem with that movie was that at the end they go into this human nature thing because they have this terrible character in there. At one point, just to, just to, you know, rather than blab on about it, at one point this character decides to shoot a Vietnamese woman that he had gotten pregnant in their version, their alternate reality of Vietnam. And people are like, you see, that's human nature. That's why he did that. And I said, in a Venus Project society, this woman probably never would have been associated with this man in the first place because she probably was interested in him trying to get out of Vietnam like many unfortunate other girls were at the time, um, if she did get pregnant with his child, she wouldn't have to worry about whether or not he was going to help them because she'd be able to take care of them herself. You know, there's so many different things about this that, you know, they don't want to get into. They just, they want an excuse to say, well, yeah, it's human nature. That's why I beat up that kid after school and took his milk. You know, it was just, it was a victim of, you know, human nature. <laughs> they, they want to cop out. I just, that's just not good enough for me. I can understand that. It's a scapegoat today. It's just like they blame things on technology. They really don't understand where the problems lie. They have no idea. It used to be the Irish, the drunken Irish, then the big, they used to say, get a big dumb Polak to clean out your cellar, or get a goddamn wop to do this or that. They always turned against one or the other. There was never a nation that wasn't criticized, never a religion that wasn't criticized. So you have a very, very mixed up culture, particularly the psychologists and the psychiatrists that try to adjust you to this culture. You've got to be stupid beyond description to do that to anybody. Um, one of the questions coming out of the chat room is, have you ever heard of spiral dynamics? And do you think it pertains to our proposed change? Well, if you if you if by that you mean that nature has a built-in corrective mechanism, uh, if that's what you mean by it, I don't know what you mean by that. But if that's what you mean by it, the self-corrective mechanism might destroy the earth and the people on it. Man might be considered a parasite in terms of nature. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I've seen that and I've thought about that myself because of like, uh, they'll go out, they'll, like, for example, they'll, uh, pe- the crews are going out and, you know, they're, they're getting rid of the rainforest, you know, at an exponential rate. And occasionally, you'll, you know, a, a foreman will go back out to his crew 
to find them all dead of some mysterious, like, 24-hour virus that just wiped them out from, you know, getting too deep into the rainforest. And a lot of scientists believe that that might be in some way like a Gaia reaction, like the Earth protecting itself in some way. Um, The Indians call it the law of karma. You know, reaction and action. Actually, it's human stupidity. There's always the same problem. And because they can manage people with money. Money is a great control device, and it is really, the love of money is really the root of all evil. And if you wish to do well with money, you must also change the value system that people have, which is all based on a monetary culture. Well, I definitely agree with that. Uh, We're down to our last nine minutes here, Jacques. Um, Have you gotten any more invitations to any more events or anything that you'd like to tell people about? Or or are you going to any other universities? I'd like to repeat what I've said before, Mm -hmm. that the greatest horror show in the future would be a movie about our present-day world, our culture. It's the worst horror show ever shown if they show it in the future, which I doubt they would be interested in. (laughs) Well, um... I guess we're Jack, go ahead. Jack will be speaking uh September twenty sixth in Copenhagen. I forgot the I forgot the name of the event actually. The new green, I think. They're expecting about fifteen hundred people there. Um now I'm getting another question. Is Jacques familiar with Daniel Quinn's theory on food production and overpopulation? If yes, do you agree with it? No, it isn't overpopulation of food production. If we don't have arable land, we we now have hydroponics. So we can grow food without arable land. The next thing we can do is to suspend in the ocean acres of different levels down into the ocean and grow food in salt water. There's a lot of wonderful things people are working on that discredit all the old views. We have the knowledge and the brains to figure out problems, solve millions of problems. We spend all our money on war and war equipment, nerve gas, atom bombs, hydrogen bombs, cobalt bombs, using your best brains for the wrong reasons. This culture, like I say, will go down in history as a shocking culture. You know, and it's funny is that that's, that's always been true because you look at a lot of these other cultures and you think basically the same thing. Now, this is actually a question I wanted to ask you to elaborate on. I talked to Roxanne a little bit about this. I heard that you guys traveled to Iceland to learn about their geothermal plants. What, what did you uh, experience there? Because, I mean, before I heard about Iceland, I thought geothermal was still something that was, like, you know, in the making, but apparently they're powering most of their country that way. Well, I've powered most of the country by geothermal energy, but they've been doing that in Italy also. Uh, Italy has a lot of geothermal power plants. We do in California now have geothermal power plants. But there are many other forms of energy, wave power, temperature differential, wind power, and uh, temperature differential between the depth of the ocean, harnessing the Gulf Stream, the Icelandic current, the Japan current, if we harness that, we can get more than enough energy. There's no shortage of energy. There never has been. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, that, 
basically got pointed out very heavily in Zeitgeist. And uh, the recent documentary that I watched called Home uh, went into great detail about, uh, you know, just how important our, our, basically our environment is. And now we have to keep the, the system, you know, really well-balanced or it's going to be a problem. And, at the, and the best part about it at the end was that they, they showed several communities. Uh, there's a city in Germany that's already completely solar-powered. Uh, you know, and then they talked about the geothermal in Iceland. Uh, they talked about some of the places that are using the wave power. Um, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to me that one of the reasons why it was so relevant was that, you know, they always tell us that we're in fantasy land, like we're talking about Star Trek technology, and some of the stuff we talk about, like nanotechnology is, but there's already enough technology to have a good, sound Venus Project society on this planet right now. It's just a question of, you know, do we have, like, technology of the mind? Have we managed to bring the, the consciousness around to understanding that this is the best way to handle it? That's right. It's not from a lack of technology. It's really from a lack of knowledge of how to apply it sanely. Yep, I definitely agree. Um, and, you know, we're down to the last five minutes. I want to thank you both for coming on my show again. Um, I'm glad that we managed to cover all this material and I look forward to continuing to talk to you guys and being involved. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, uh, as this, this situation develops, we'll be able to get you in to talk to some people in some of the other countries. As I understand it, you're having more luck in, you know, in Europe. And uh, I, I was surprised, you know, I guess in some of the – you said some of the Arab countries. Did you say Saudi Arabia or did I mishear you? I know you said Turkey. Where we've been, we've been in Turkey and Saudi Arabia got in touch with us to um, – help consult on a new city and a theme park. Uh, it didn't come through, though. We've been in Dubai, Vienna, Iceland, going to Mexico soon, and um, yeah, as I said, Copenhagen, maybe Germany. Um, mm-hmm. It's been all over. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Dubai is building a new solar power plant. I got to see a picture of it. They call it the Ziggurat. I'm not familiar with that, but yeah, they were doing a lot of interesting things. Uh, Kuwait also doing interesting things. Yeah, I, oh, Qatar. I think it was Qatar. Yeah. Neil, if we don't accept responsibility for our own future, others will do our thinking for us. It's called fascism. I agree, and that's you know it it looks very heavily, and I, it's funny actually because of my my background as a libertarian activist. I was talking to a lot of people in the Zeitgeist movement about things that they didn't know about, about how the, the president is pretty much already in a position that he could become a fascist dictator right now. And that's not even like conspiracy theory. It's all stuff that's on the White House website. You can look at the various uh, executive orders and things that he's made. Um, people pay a lot of attention to the Patriot Act, but George Bush created his own laws in the form of executive orders that you can read on the .gov website. Um, that, that already make it possible. You know, they're, they're setting the stage for what will be necessary. And, and I, that's what I've been trying to tell people for the longest time is that that's the reason why the strategy at this point is to get this idea into as many brains as possible so that in the event that we do come to that horrible apocalypse, that we will be prepared to, to rebuild a society that is going to far surpass anything we had before. Because rebooting capitalism or trying socialism or, or you know, or Communism, again, is never going to work, and it would just it could be right going back to this again. But we're now down to the last 90 seconds. Uh, thank you once again, Jacques and Roxanne. And, um, yeah. I'm gonna, thank you. Mm-hmm, and uh, 
it's it's an honor to have you on, sir, and I look forward to further conversations with you in the future. In fact, I Thank might you. even actually call you guys after the show is over, if you don't mind. Okay, me too. <laughs> All right. Um, it's actually just as simple as me disconnecting the blog talk call, and then we'll be on, so we won't have to hang up. But um, in any case, uh, thank you all for tuning in to V Radio. Uh, once again, uh, don't forget about Zeitgeist TV. Uh, if you go there, I play good documentaries that are relevant to the movement all the time. Um, I will be gone for about 10 days, but I will be back afterwards. I have to go out of town to do some family things and hopefully improve my financial situation along with taking some well-needed R&R. Um, and uh, I will be back once again spreading the word. Thank you all for tuning in.